This is... Implicitly? Awkward. Cue the music. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is one of your hosts, Alexia. And this is your other host, Marcus. And today we have a special guest. We have Edgar on. Everyone. Hey, Edgar. So me and Edgar actually met um, through the Latinx Graduate Student Association at USC. We were both on the e-board, but Edgar... You're still right, El Presidente. Yes, I'll be returning to USC going into my third year, but I'll also be uh, 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 president for the Latinx Graduate Association, uh, just to help out with with the community needs and and supporting students along the way. Mm -hmm. That's great. So Edgar is a PhD student, which is so amazing. I guess I'm just wondering if you could give our listeners a little bit of information on how you found yourself um, pursuing a PhD. Yeah, of course. So I was actually uh, talking to one of my high school mentors who wasn't a teacher at my high school, but was actually doing his dissertation at my high school. Uh, And, uh, you know, a plot twist, he actually came to the same exact PhD program that I'm currently doing now. Uh, So I was actually talking to this mentor yesterday and we were catching up after like 10 years of not seeing each other. And I told him the same thing. I'm like, man, 10 years ago, I did not have long-term aspirations of pursuing graduate school. Graduate school wasn't even in my scope of vision and all. And undergrad was pretty much like, it's there, but I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Uh, you know, so I am a first generation Mexican-American uh, male and my parents finished at the middle school level. So for me, high school was my higher education. College was like, a, I guess, in a way, the doctorate for me. Uh, so when I navigated each uh, terrain or each um, institution, more and more opportunities started arising where I heard of PhD programs, I heard about research, I wasn't too familiar with it, but I still wanted to give it a try in my undergraduate um, years and such. And, you know, I I hit some bumps along the way where I wasn't accepted to research programs because I wasn't seen as research ready, or I wasn't seen as someone who would contribute a lot to the field, whatever that meant. Mm. And, you know, little by little, I I, I was able to navigate you know, relationships with faculty that were very supportive, particularly men of color, um, who were like, hey, you know what, I was also told the same. I was told I, because I come from an undocumented background or a low income background or first generation background, I'm not going to amount to all these other faculty already uh, who has such a wealth of, of capital and, and networks. Um, you know, so in my mind, because of these mentors, it pushed me along the way just enough for me to get to graduate school. And then from graduate school, I spoke to other people. I had told myself, I'm going to be competitive, but with myself, you know, and the expectations people had of me. So then when people were like, hey, you know, what are you going to do after your master's? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go for a PhD and now. Um, I don't know what research is. I got a little taste of it. 
just like it, you know, if you were going to Baskin Robbins, getting that little sample, right? You're like, hey, I want to see what it's about. So same thing. I, I went ahead and started getting involved with research, and little by little, I started noticing why is everything so depressing here? Yeah, <laughs> why is yes, know, there's, there, yes, there's there's it's so depressing in the sense where like even literature back then would say, you know, African American men and Latino men they don't go to college they don't have long-term aspirations for career or you know uh, uh, graduate degrees because their culture is broken or they're you know they're an endangered species and I read stuff like this I'm like what like am I an endangered species like hold up like you know what is this about and I come to realize a lot of the work that was done on Latino and African-American men of color for example were from deficit white uh, researchers that mm-hmm. had said we know all and see all and I think a lot of people are starting to understand that there's so many gaps in research already that how can you research Latino and African-American students while not having that lived experience yourself you know and it's not to say like oh if you're Latino you only research Latino uh, not mm-hmm. to say that because there's um, you know in, intersectionality there um, but anyways, long story short, I just came to realize at one point, I came from poverty and for some people to tell me or, or dictate to me, that's where you'll end up at. You mm-hmm. are where you're born at. And I'm like, mm, no, I don't think that you realize there's a lot of barriers that place my family in poverty and such, right? Mm-hmm. So ever since then, like I just had that in my mind where my goal has been just buy that house, <laughs> uh, you know, buy that house, buy that car and, you know, have like a really nice life and all. And I just kept being told by my mentors, you know, not that getting a PhD is going to be a for sure way to get there, but it elevates a lot of your opportunities. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I was just like networking and just asking other uh, PhD students when I was a master's student, hey, can I see your CV, your curriculum vita, or can I see your resume? Can I see your personal statement? What is it that you did so I can do it better? So I can get there faster, sooner. And there was some people that really saw that that ambition in me. And they were like, wow, this guy, I don't know if he's dumb. And he's just saying things out of like thin air. Or if he's really strategic and really trying to get to from point mm-hmm. A to point B. And, and now they've seen it, right? Like a lot of them have been like, wow, like you're in a PhD program, which, um, you know, typically lasts between five to seven years, depending on the mm-hmm. discipline. And a lot of people get their PhDs like in their late 30s. So I'm essentially a decade early. Um, but yeah, it's been great. You know, it's been great just doing research from scratch and really realizing like, man, like it is depressing. But the fact that more of us are getting here little by little, it becomes very comforting in a way, right? It's kind of like uh, if you were in, the, in a classroom where you were the only Latina or you were the only African-American student, when you start seeing more of us in the class, it's just like, okay, cool. Like I'm not the only one we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, eventually we will hit a critical mass where just by having one Latino or one African-American or one Latina or, uh, and such, it won't be automatically labeled as, oh my God, we're diverse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, with my work with LGSA and my work with other organizations, I really try to be intentional where I, I try to support students and other colleagues uh, in a way where don't stop at the minimum, 
mm-hmm. just because people said that that's your maximum. Yeah. You brought up so many great points. I'm kind of thinking of higher education and institutions and thinking about kind of what you said in terms of people wanting to kind of keep you in your place in terms of like society. And I think about that in relationship to higher education and feeling at times as an outsider, as you were saying, and kind of navigating that or trying to build relationships or go places where there are more students of color in higher education or more Latino professors and how that kind of shifted for me in terms of feeling empowered in the classroom and thus empowered in my own life and, you know, kind of going for things that I never saw for myself or maybe people didn't see for me. And I'm wondering for yourself, like, would you say community or relationships or what I heard was mentorships? Do you feel like that was kind of an important key to your success or to your journey through these institutions? That's a great question. So the way I see it, if you, uh, if you can picture this, right, you're at your house and you're trying to drive to a destination that's maybe two miles away. It doesn't seem far, but what makes it even more difficult is you're given conditions that are unfair. You get into your car, your car has flat wheels, flat tires, your windshield is broken. And for some reason there's a fog (laughs) and you're expected to drive to this two mile destination, all relaxed and on time. And I think a lot of us, uh, the reason why we get discouraged is because there's so many other overwhelming barriers that make us not want to get to that destination. But I think once we get more support, so for example, for me, it was really important to get mentoring. Uh, I wanted to get the perspective of people who were already in positions that I wanted to be in. Um, And I got some of the tips where they would just tell me like, hey, uh, like, you know, essentially the unspoken rules or the hidden curriculum, right? Hey, do this, but don't do that. Or avoid this person, but definitely talk to that person or that professor. So getting that, uh, those key tips were really essential for me to, you know, kind of navigate this monopoly game in a way, right? Where, Mm -hmm. okay, I have to be very careful because there are some toxic potholes there as they're driving, you know, or there's some fog that will tell you the direction is left when you should go right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so there's some twists and turns along the way, right? And definitely mentorship was a key component for me. Um, Another component for sure were peers. You know, there were moments where, I think not a lot of people recognize that our experiences are very valid to each other. Where if I were to say like Marcus, like, you know, hey, uh, what professors did you did you take, you know, uh, that you feel were very supportive in the classroom or very engaging and all? Oh, try this professor or that professor. Because sometimes professors can be fake to each other, right? And you might have this perception that, oh, that professor is very helpful. But to students, they're like, no, this professor uh, straight out told me I should drop the class. Yeah, who um, Yeah, that too. Yeah, so, you know, I think that capital is really important, just, you know, being able to share uh, amongst each other. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be in the same discipline. And you know? I could easily say, hey, I want to get 
you know, connected to people in the social work because maybe I want to pursue a social work career at the end. Um, and you having much more ties with those faculty or those networks can be very powerful. And it's all about sharing. And unfortunately, I think in academia, we've, we've been taught everyone for themselves. And because of that, you might have networks, but you've been traumatized in a sense where, all right, what you've gained, you keep to yourself, you stay quiet and you keep going. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I think it, we should normalize that. We, yeah, we all went through trauma and it, I'm not you know, saying that that's not a thing. Um, unfortunately, it's very common within um, pretty much almost, almost every individual I've met. Um, but in a way where we use that trauma in a way to build empathy and, and bridge with each other, right? And and we're okay sharing knowledge. We're okay sharing networks. But the, I think the most important part, we're okay sharing ourselves um, through our stories and on being vulnerable with each other. Because that and that's how you create community where you don't feel alone. You don't feel like oh, everything that I'm going through, imposter syndrome or survivor's guilt or homesickness or racism, I'm the only one going through it. It's like, no, when you build community, you realize a lot of us are going through it. And when you see a lot of us going through it, it makes you feel like the challenges aren't because it's you. It's no, it's the institution itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this kind of mirrored my experience with LGSA and the Latinx Graduate Student Association of when we became more vulnerable with each other and shared the things that we were going through. That was when I feel like there was that more support or community. And thus I felt more connected and like validated. And through that just process, it empowered me to be like no like we can keep going like I see other people feeling this way I'm not the only one and like you know we are strong um so I feel like restorative practices and stuff stuff like that is so important to like integrate into higher education um just because thinking of the system and then having to navigate it it's it is it can be re-traumatizing like there's so many historical contexts that are um happening And we're kind of wondering, why do we feel this way? Why do we feel isolated? Why do I feel like, you know, I I don't belong here? It's like, well, because the history. And I feel like that's so important to like recognize and have validated by your peers. Yeah, it's like, I feel like a theme that we're talking about is like leaning on the relationships that you've built within the networks when you're in, while you're in higher education, Um, because that's so much of the experience like the classroom experience is one thing, but like leaning on the relationships that you build, whether that's with your peers, with your mentors, with your teachers can also dictate your experience throughout. Um, and you're kind of doing research on that. Am I, if I'm remembering correctly, like on uh, the graduate experience and like the un, unspoken rules about grad school and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'm currently doing research on graduate mentoring relationships and it has been honestly very humbling just to get the experiences of, uh, you know, 40 PhD students that I'm interviewing and just understanding how they got there, right? And very similar to how I mentioned, right? Like I got a chance to understand and hear out their stories. And after hearing all of them out, I was like, wow, like my story is not um, exclusive to racism or discrimination. Other people, unfortunately, encountered it. But I think because we're so disconnected, 
geographically, but also discipline wise, like we don't really hear of other people going through it. Um, so my research study focuses on mentoring relationships, particularly between faculty and students, because faculty tend to have the most um, access to these resources, but they're also gatekeepers in a sense where I would determine how much access, if at all, I want to provide to my students, you know, and think about it this way, right? When you graduate and you apply for jobs, a lot of these jobs are going to ask you for letters of recommendations. And oftentimes the people that you interact with the most in your program have been faculty. But if faculty are like, mm, I don't want to write you a letter of recommendation, you know, that just puts you, you know, a step backwards. And I was trying to understand what is it about faculty from the perspective of these PhD students were really helpful or really validating in that sense, right? And this has been amazing of the, the findings that I've been getting um, and understanding, but it's also been depressing just again, hearing so many racialized experiences or so many experiences where they're just like, wow, like I asked them like, how are you still going? You know, how are you still persisting? And I think it's very common across like the board where so many of us have internal motivations of getting to point B because of family, because of community, because of um, my peers, my colleagues, uh, or because of my future aspirations of, you know, maybe having a family in the future, right? Um, and, and, and such, right? But yeah, so I'm looking at what is it that faculty need to do better? Not only during COVID times, but now that we're going back in person, what is it that they need to do better in person uh, or transitioning back to in person that they need to do to be a better professor or a better mentor? Um, and then also just create better connections with students. I think a lot of students uh, have told me some faculty will say, oh, well, I'm already Marcus as mentor or Alexia's mentor. But then when I ask both of you, you might say, mm, I don't consider that person a mentor though. Mm. You know? And that's the huge disconnection where some faculty think they are doing great work and they are doing great work in research. But when they think they're doing great work in your personal lives or professional lives, when I ask you, you know, to triangulate the data, there's question marks all over. You know, it's like, wait, what do you mean this professor mentored me and gave me the best resources? All they did was told me to turn in my work better. Mm. You know, right? Yeah, yeah and I don't it's like, all that. like what you <laughs> right? You know, and and with that being said, you know, the the reason I'm doing this work is because one. And this ties to why I try to mentor as many people as possible, right? Like I am being the person I wish I had when I was younger, mm -hmm. you know, someone who I wish I, I can easily go to and tell them, hey, you know what, I'm struggling or I'm emotionally like uh, uh, torn because of A, B, and C. And I didn't really have, with the exception of a few faculty uh, uh, of color and all that would tell me their personal experiences as well. But that was like, you know, that was also rare <laughs> um, because there wasn't a lot of faculty of color at the institutions that I went through. Um, like I said, I, I am pursuing a faculty route myself. So I'm trying to be a professor. So I want to make sure that I'm doing things right and I'm doing things just and hoping that I don't end up, <laughs> you know, as uh, other professors who are very deficit, racist, and just very explicitly 
throwing derogatory comments to students. And that's something that I don't want to become. But at the same time, I want to become that faculty, again, who I wish I had when I was younger uh, to be supportive of students and, you know, to really open up that access to information and, and networks, right? And I, I've been an instructor here and there, uh, particularly when I was in Texas, and I've written letters of recommendations for students. Um, you know, I've been, I, I've given references here and there and all, and that's what it's all about, you know, just supporting students, um, especially when they ask for help, right? So yeah, mentorship has been a, a really strong component of how I got here. And now I'm doing the reverse where I'm exploring it, what happened in my relationships that got me to where I'm at, that maybe that's what's missing in person A and person B's um, experiences and all. Maybe that's what they need, but we wanna make sure that they get the mentorship uh, appropriately, right? Not just like, oh, this person calls me his uh, mentor. I'm, I'm good. It's like, no, there, there, there's a the follow-up to that, right? Mm-hmm. We know that you're doing some great work for all your mentees out there. So shout out to Eggers mentees, whoever they may be. Um, I Speaking from experience, I have to agree, like mentorship has been a huge part of my just personal and professional growth. So um, for everybody who has a mentor out there, you know what I'm saying? Tell you, tell them that you appreciate them. If you don't have a mentor, you should probably go find one. And if you have a mentor, you should probably have some mentees because like we said before, it's not fair to just like hold on to all that good information that somebody else is passing on to, you know, we've got to share all that. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm interested to hear also like Marcus, did you see yourself getting a master's? Was it something that like you kind of grew up with or knowing or was it something that kind of just happened along the way uh at first no but at the same time like both my parents have their master's degrees so it was kind of always in like in the air um but never like had a conversation with either of my parents saying you have to get your master's degree to do such and such but you know this is just how the, the cards played and here I am on the other side, happily graduated. <laughs> Fight on. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, honestly, at first, I didn't think I was going to go back to school after gr- undergrad because, you know, undergrad was undergrad and I was very happy to be done with it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it, at least for me, because I, I took, what, four years after undergrad before I came back to school. So I had to figure out if I was actually going to do it and like if it made sense, you know, because mm-hmm. um, all right, because also, Alexia, this is your second master's degree, right? That you just got. Yes, sir. <laughs> I cool yeah. things. come on. Yes, I do have two of them. So put some respect on my name. But yeah, I never in a million years, one would have thought I would have gotten the first one. And then you would have said, oh, a second one, I would have been like, that's not my life. Like, that's not happening to me. Um, But yeah, I grew up like, you know, kind of knowing that, yes, I would go to college. um, But past that, no one in my immediate family has a master's. you know, my dad kind of finished school, undergrad, like later on and took some online classes. I don't really know if he ever received like a higher education or anything like that. But yeah, just through like 
my undergrad and then I had some personal stuff go on and I was like, well, my only real like means to be successful or to really have the type of support I want in terms of like financially is to go get a master's because I got my undergrad in theater. Um, so I needed something that was more stable. And so I made that decision. So for me, a master's program meant stability. It wasn't like, oh, this is like exactly like what I want to do. And I just want to explore. It was like, no, I have to do this in order to like survive. And I think that's like an interesting concept when we think of higher education and then we think of loans and things like that as well. And then, yeah, from there, I completed that program but I will say that that program was mostly white I was the only Latinx person in that program and I didn't feel as empowered but due to some I would say political things in terms of licensing that's what made me go get a master's in social work and I was like I just gotta do it like that's what we're doing and so yeah that's me and social work. And I found at USC, I know everybody has varying experiences and opinions, but because there was that um, strong Latinx community at USC and I saw professors that looked like me or represented me, that was like, I don't know, it was like a light bulb went off and like, I just felt so like empowered. And I definitely felt very different in this um, program than I did in a past program. So that's like been my journey with higher education. It was definitely a long means to an end to survive. Yo, okay. So this has got me thinking. Um, all right. We've all been in higher education for a number of years now, varying amounts of years now. Um, what are some of the unwritten rules that and tips that you can provide to somebody um, the first thing that comes to mind is if you can avoid it, don't buy your books, rent them or check the library because most likely they'll have a copy in there. Books can be so expensive and there are so many alternatives and eBooks are also kind of cool too. So just, if you can save money on your books that way, um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Well, what about y'all? Ooh, I would say... I kind of just like went with things and was like, oh, okay, I'll just do this program and then I'll do this program. But I think if I would have taken a little bit more time to really understand what these programs meant after graduation in terms of jobs and opportunity, I would have maybe picked a different path. So I would say really take your time, like research what this career path is and talk to individuals who have gone through that so you can make the best informed decision. I think, uh, I think I, I have so many. Um, I guess starting off like in academic uh, purposes and all, uh, you do not need to do all the readings. <laughs> Uh, you Facts. know, no, no, you do not. You certainly do not. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, especially for people who might be listening, who are like, you know, I try to read some stuff and I just can't understand it. Uh, or like, it's too much, like, you know, like the, the academic jargon and all, I'll say this, something I've come to learn the hard way, but I've come to realize it. Not every published work 
is good work. And I have talk read some talk. Art. Talk that you talk. Know? Go ahead. No, I'm about to spit some fire. Hold up. No, uh, <laughs> no, there's been some work. So uh, and I, I try to reference a lot of my undergraduate experiences and all, and I love using analogies. But uh, this particular example, back in undergrad, um, in my first semester there or quarter at UCLA, I, um, not even then, it, before that, I got accepted to this summer bridge program. Mm. And I kid you not, the first article that was given, I could not read it. Like I read it, but nothing was like, I could not digest anything after reading it for like an hour. And throughout my undergraduate experiences and even my graduate uh, years, I was reading some work where I'm just like, I know what you're saying, but I don't know why you're saying this or how you're saying this, or I don't, this is poorly written, but I can't say that, right? Because it's published. And I've come to realize like, nah, there's some people who publish like weak work that I'm just like, it's not that you couldn't understand it because your English is not well. It's just this person mm-hmm. wrote it in a really, really bad way. Uh, terrible grammar and all that stuff. You know, and, and when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, like no vocabulary. I'm like too much vocabulary, mm-hmm. right? The academic jargon is just too intense. I'm like, this is why you didn't get published in a top tier journal because I can see a lot of these, you forced the academic jargon out of it and, you know, it backfired on you. you know, it looks, and, sometimes it's like they're, they're writing for their peers, like their academic peers instead of like just yeah. people who might read it, you know? Exactly. And I think that's what makes it really inaccessible. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us, we have access to journals because we went to an institution but doesn't mean we can access the language of the, you know, of the scholar and all. And if any scholars that are listening to this get upset, you know, you must be one of those. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I other things True. that have come to mind as well. Um, you know, Google Scholar has definitely come in clutch. Uh, but something that I, I, I've come to learn is not everything, again, not everything posted up or published is accurate. Um, APA, for example, is something that I was always critiqued and always like bashed for, and no one taught me how to do APA. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that I've come to learn were not in class. They were actually outside of class. And that's definitely something that took that I've told my younger siblings where I'm just like, hey, uh, YouTube, Google, you know, any questions that you have, type it in. And there are some resources out there that, again, faculty will not teach you enough because it's um, as one of my friends would say it's a weeding out process Mm -hmm. if you don't learn outside you can't maximize inside you know in terms of classes right um learn apa right away if you're into like the social sciences and i'll learn what apa is and why it's important but also use it there's some cheat sheets uh online where it will tell you oh, if you're going to sign in, in text or outside of text or a quote, there's all differences for that. No. You know, Purdue you, Owl, Purdue Owl for APA helped me the last two years. I don't know about y'all, but like, and they have resources for MLA as well. Um, but yeah, Purdue Owl was the best thing ever for me because I also had to learn APA when I got to, to grad school. So yeah. And then, uh, you know, with being, you know, in terms of support and all, stick with supportive people. Uh, I think um, a lot of us are told stick with everyone, but people don't realize that there's some toxic people out there 
and they are going to be your thorn where we think that, oh, they're pushing us to be better. It's like, nah, they're trying to push you out. Um, you know, so they're like your thorns where like, if you step on it, you're going to hurt yourself. So uh, definitely stick around positive, supportive people and avoid the drama, avoid those people who are like, as some people would say, right? Trash people, or let me rephrase that. People who have bad intentions, Mm -hmm. uh, right? And I think that's something that I've been very adamant about, you know, making sure I stick around really positive people or people who, if they're going to critique my writing or my work, at least I know they're doing it with, you know, with heart, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, I I say all this because I recently heard J. Cole, uh, you know, say a lot of philosophical things, right? You know, he was, he had said a line, something like, uh, just because he has a heart doesn't mean he has heart. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, man, like how much would that apply to faculty, you know? Just because they have a faculty position doesn't mean they're mentors. Um, you know, so with all that to say is that some people will be out there for the best interest of you. Some people won't. And all that to also say is that I also come to learn it's, it's, it really comes down to who you know that's going to care about what you know. Because I have heard some of the really most interesting stories out there where and, and not necessarily to pinpoint exactly which faculty or which institution have said this, but I've heard stories of like, yeah, we were about to post this job off a job opportunity, but we already have someone in mind and we already have them already on, mm-hmm. on set to hire. But for equitable purposes, we have to post this online, but we already know who we're going to hire. And I'm like, what? Like, what? what? Like, how? Why? When? You know? And it all comes down to connections. You know, it all comes down to how, you know, if you know the right people, if you network enough, or if people know you. Um, I think that really comes down to it. And I, I, that to also say, a lot of people will tell you, don't use social media or don't act, you know, because uh, people will judge you on social media. You know, people will judge you on anything. Even if you're walking and you're a stranger, people will judge you right off the bat. So, use that to your opportunity. I definitely build up my social media to kind of create a, a brand in a way. Um, and I can't tell you how many opportunities I have gotten because people have recognized my work because I shared across all my social media. And also this might sound like um, weird to say, but make yourself popular through your work, right? Populate your, make sure people know who your name, what your, who, your name and all. Uh, because that will give them an idea of what you're doing and who you are. So then when a job comes into their mind, they already know who to pick, right? Or they at least have your name in, in the pool mm-hmm. where they'll be like, hey, Marcus, uh, you know, we haven't made this public yet, but we want to send this job out, but we want you to apply, right? And it happens. So it happens way more frequently than people realize uh, in all disciplines. Um and again, with being selected with, with uh, people who are going to be supportive, even institutional agents, right? Uh, you know, the Graduate Writing Center. Yes, the Writing Center is there, but not all the people that are going to be supportive either. Um, you have to scope it out. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You have to scope out the resources and see which one fits. You know, kind of like Baskin Robbins, right? Like, yes, they have 31 flavors, but not all the flavors are going to be in agreement with you. Um but you won't know until you try it. 
right? Um, so you have to try all 31 flavors or at least as many as you can and then be like, okay, cool. I'm never going to try that flavor again, but that's totally fine. At least you tried it out. Now, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I can give you a bunch like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to write a book one day on how to navigate, you know, the graduate level, for, for example, uh, just because graduate school is so intimidating for people, including myself. I was very intimidated to apply for a master's uh, because I was like, wow, I barely made it to my undergrad. What, why am I going through grad school? And a lot of people just don't know the little, uh, the requirements needed to apply, right? And then they think, oh, I'm, I have my requirements. I just don't want to submit. And I think submitting to graduate school is one of the hardest part, parts to do and all. Uh, just like when you submit to a job, you're just like, I have everything, but am I good enough? And that's where like the doubtness comes a lot. Uh, but anyways, all that to say is stick with support people because when you do have those moments of doubt, there's going to be people who will come through and come in clutch who will be like, yo, Alexia, nah, you got to submit that. Submit that now. Or Marcus, I, you know, I need your help. I need your guidance. Like, you know what? Should I submit? Yes, just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Baskin Robbins, please sponsor us, by the way. Please. <laughs> all 31 flavors. Absolutely. Now you bring up so many great, amazing tips and points. I guess the last thing that I would add, and I think you kind of already said this, but really understand the resources that are available to you too, through the university, you are paying for these resources. So, you know, mental health, any type of gender violence too if you experience that there's resources um basic needs like you need a computer all those things like just ask around look on the internet in your like institution all that stuff because it is there even if people don't tell you also like with usc you get an hbo max subscription i didn't know for the longest time until like pretty much like a month before graduation so you know, things like that. You just got to like explore and look and, you know, kind of find one your people, utilize the resources and, you know, everything else that was shared today. No. So before we wrap, Edgar, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. Um, we usually play a game called Let Me Put You On. Uh, it's a little game where we just, just, we ask like, what's something that you've been watching lately or a book that you've been reading or like a a movie that like really moved you. Um, so let me put you on. I'm gonna go first. Um, for all you rap fans out there, Vince Staples by Vince Staples. Uh, self-titled album. It's fantastic. It's only about like 22, 23 minutes. It's really short, but it's it's beautiful. Just please listen to that album. Let me know what you think. Um, yes. Um, what y'all got? What, what can you put us on to? Ooh, okay. Uh, well, I have been watching, I think it's the fourth season of The Shy. I love that series. It's amazing. But this season in particular, it gets better every single season, just like the artistic direction, the storylines, everything. So if you haven't watched The Shy, like watch The Shy. It's amazing. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of... Uh... Definitely J. Cole. Um, you know, for me, <laughs> I love quoting. So I, I normalize quoting mus- uh, music artists as well. Uh, I'll tell people, you know, to make uh, 
uh, to take a shot in life when, and then I'll quote Drake and I'll be like, look, you know, just like it's the philosopher would say, right? Uh, I'm only here for a good time, not a long time. Drake, 2013, uh, APA, you know? And yeah, no, so I'm listening to J. Cole and he's been saying a lot of things. So I'm just like, man, like in his recent album, um, you know, I'm just like, wow, like this guy is, is dropping heat. I'm about to quote him in my future papers and, uh, you know, really live that life. Um, but yeah, anyway, so J. Cole has been, his recent album that just came out, uh, I've been listening to that and actually listened to it um, when I'm at the gym and all, just to get that, uh, one, to learn more of the lyrics that he's doing and then, uh, you know, also to kind of get into the beat and all, and hopefully one day pursue my music career down the line. Um, you know, you never know, but yeah. I had no idea. Ooh. Oh yeah, I'll be, I, I've been debating between English and Spanish, like which route to take, or maybe even a mixture of both. Yeah, you can um, do both, do both, do both. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, yeah, I, I definitely want to pursue a music career down the line. Um, I'm just like, what would the professors say, you know? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, dismantle the system. Who cares what I'm, they say? Who cares what they say? Put it out anyway. No, that's right. I'm, I'm here to dismantle the systems then, all right? Uh, I'm about to start with my uh, with my dissertation, my books, and then eventually my music albums. Um, yeah, so that'll be fire as well. But that's that's what I've been listening to, anyways, lately. That's amazing. Well, Edgar, I want to say thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, for the listeners, where can they find you on social media, or you know, if they have any questions or anything like that? Yeah. So. I definitely uh, love using Instagram and it's funny. I, uh, so, so my handle in Instagram is put scholar underscore Edgar Lopez. And I think that ties into like everything that we mentioned earlier where, and I, I, I may not have mentioned too much about myself particularly, but I do come from it essentially, uh, you know, some people may say like, Oh, you come from Inglewood and all, Oh, that's the hood and all. And I'm like, as someone from the hood, but someone who's also a scholar, a lot of people find that like an oxymoron, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, jumbo shrimp or Mexican-American or, you know, things that don't go together. And I tell people they may not go together, but they work together really well. You know, something that a lot of people don't overlook a lot. But anyways, that's the reason behind like the hood scholar name. Um, so it's uh, hood scholar underscore Edgar Lopez. Twitter is Edgar Lopez his usc and then with my facebook linkedin i you know again i have almost everything except tiktok uh i'm debating on getting it now um but yeah yeah, yeah. you know just follow my name or use my name and follow me and you know i'm i always welcome people uh and i love following other people just because everyone's doing amazing work you know so i'm just trying to learn and i think something that i tell myself why, why i love uh, just learning more about people is because the world is a really big place but the more people you know and get to learn about the smaller the world becomes you know so we're out here trying to build community you know heard you well also if you don't follow us on instagram follow us at implicitly awkward you can find us on twitter at implicitly awk implicitly awk just awk we didn't have enough space, so implicitly awk. And if you want to get some great merchandise, check us out at implicitlyawkward.bigcartelgots.com. Um, am I missing anything? No, I think 
that's it. Well, thank you again, Edgar. And that was implicitly awkward. <laughs>